0: It's that time of year when it's traditional to look back on the journey. The OSF Healthcare Media Relations team has covered a wide range of topics throughout the year. On today's episode of Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare, we are taking a look back at some of the stories from the OSF newsroom that you may have missed. OSF has managed its own newsroom since 2016. There are five of us on the media relations team. I'm Shelley Dankoff, and joining me today for the Year in Review conversation are Colleen Reynolds, Paul Arco, Tim Dittman, and Matt Sheehan. You may have seen the names cross at various times. Now you can put the faces with them. It is a rarity that all of us get together in one place at one time because this team is dispersed throughout our 16 hospital ministry. I think we all would agree to start off with that 2023 saw a lot of growth for OSF Healthcare and exciting ways that we are looking to change the delivery of health care throughout our ministry so Colleen I am going to start with you because you support the work of our OSF innovation and our digital health teams and I think we all would agree that artificial intelligence AI if you will is making a big impact in transforming healthcare. care so what is some of the key advances you have seen through this year
1: first of all I'm just gonna acknowledge AI is literally everywhere now. I mean, it seemed like overnight it exploded. It is the subject matter of so many TV shows. And of course, the main theme is AI is bad. (laughs) But here at OSF, we are really believing that AI can do a lot to transform healthcare and can really improve delivery and outcomes. But it is not going to replace a physician, it's not gonna replace a nurse or anyone in a decision-making role. What it is doing, it is helping support that decision-making process with good data, better information than we've ever had. And so just a couple of examples of that uh, that I think are amazing. We're using it to identify patients who are at high risk of not doing well, you know, as they're admitted to the hospital. So we're going to watch them more closely. We're going to pay much more attention to the various symptoms that would indicate they're declining. And that AI is used to predict, okay, these are the high risk patients, and we got to watch them more closely. So that's awesome. Also, looking at patients who are at high risk to be readmitted to the hospital. So when they're leaving, we're making sure we're not discharging them too soon. We're making sure they have a great transition plan and you know that the next location they go to is the appropriate place for them. And then we're also using it to really talk about patients who are hospitalized who have a very serious life-threatening condition, that AI is checking to make sure that they have an end-of-life care plan so that we know what that patient wants. And if those discussions have not occurred, we are prioritizing those patients, not because We're concerned about the mortality necessarily, but we wanna make sure that we are prepared and they are prepared just in case. So it's it's been great, and we've been using that to great success so far. And some of that work, especially with the end-of-life discussions, is coming out of the work
0: with Dr. Jonathan Handler, who is the uh, Senior Fellow and Clinical Informaticist with OSF Healthcare through OSF Innovation. So why is his work
1: so important for what we're doing moving forward? Yeah, that's a great question. You, Dr. Handler has been one of the busiest guys in show business this year because we are really benefiting from his expertise. And one of the things that have really made his star rise On the national scene is his work with cancer nurse navigators. So these are the nurses that help the patients who have a cancer diagnosis and help them manage through the whole system. So they're doing everything from educating to um, getting social supports, especially if they live alone, don't have a family network, and they're also helping them schedule appointments, finding out about specialty care that they might need. Well obviously these nurse navigators were super busy. They were getting burnt out. They were overworked. They were, they loved their patients so much that they were spending a lot of their own personal time trying to help them. And Dr. Handler was brought in because, again, there's got to be a better way. And he was able to use data from electronic health records that de-identifies the patients, but has very important, you know, markers and data. And, built a large language model, as they call it, and now that's informing that workflow, and it's amazing. And they were able to test it against the random distribution that they were using, and it turns out it is a much fairer, better way of distributing that really hard work.
0: Yeah, Dr. Handler is so elevated. I mean, he's consulting on a presidential panel for President Biden. So, I mean, that's the level that OSF Healthcare has found itself at with some of this work we're doing through OSF Innovation. But I want to ask one final question, at least preliminarily. You know, you hear the concerns about ethics and AI, and we're all about being ethical within healthcare. That bottom line, that is what we're
1: all about. So how do we address those ethical concerns? Again, this is where Dr. Handler has some really good expertise. And, you know, just like anything, you put bad data in, bad data comes out. So one of the things he's working on with researchers that are with our academic partners, the U of I in Peoria, Chicago, Urbana-Champaign, using grant dollars, research money out of our Jump Arches, you know, foundation. And that is really helping them look at What is the best use of data? What are the markers that need to go into developing that AI? And let's account for, were there biases that went into that? Is there a difference between rural and urban populations? So all of that. So he is very concerned. We know the pandemic showed us there is health inequity, and we are you know, putting up some guardrails in our own work. And then OSF Innovation has also joined a collaborative of 30 different major health systems, all working together to come up with the best guidelines, best practices, and use so that it is ethical, it is fair, and that it does equitably promote the best approaches to health care. And one of the outcomes we have seen through that is the work with our diabetes patients. Absolutely. This is a great area. We were one of the first healthcare systems to uh, join and start using a product from Digital Diagnostics, which was an Iowa based startup. And it is essentially an exam, a screening that can be done in a primary care office. Doesn't even have to be an eye office. We're using it because a majority of our patients with diabetes are treated in the primary care office. So they can get that screening. And within a matter of minutes, this AI-backed system can say whether patients with diabetes are at risk or have already have symptoms of diabetic retinopathy, which is the number one cause of blindness for US adults. So that's pretty big. And Dr. Meeker was one of our first uh, physician leaders to really get on board with this. Thanks, Colleen. A lot of impressive work taking
0: place through the innovation and digital health world.
1: And I think we all would
0: agree that AI is going to be one of those ongoing topics that I have a feeling will take up a lot of your time in 2024 as well.
1: But that's a good thing. Yeah, that
0: was a good thing. Um, 2023 was a bit of a transition year of sorts for COVID-19. It hasn't gone away and it's now part of the year, regular yearly respiratory illnesses. I turn to Matt Sheehan, the newest member of the OSF Healthcare Media Relations team. You have spent a good part of the year working on you know, respiratory stories and taking a look at it and how we stay healthy, particularly with respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV. Let's talk a little bit about that and why that is so important.
2: Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that came out of this, this year is that Uh, after 60 years of research and data with scientists and uh, medical professionals trying to figure out a vaccine, we finally got one. So it took six decades, and now it's finally here. Now, the issue that we're running with uh, right now is rolling that out. And we saw issues with the COVID vaccine, and now we're seeing similar things with distribution with the RSV vaccine. So I think that's the biggest news of the year. As you mentioned, there are multiple respiratory illnesses and viruses that go around, flu, COVID-19, RSV. Especially with kids in school, we just got done with some holiday gatherings. So this time of year, it's it's very popular. And so, you know, we were able to speak this year and kind of see the uh, trajectory of, hey, this is announced, this is approved, boom. Okay. Next, we're trying to get this approved uh, for pregnant women because they want the antibodies to then go into their unborn babies so that they can have some protection when they are born. Uh, because we know that you know younger children and babies are very susceptible, and so then that was approved. And now it's you know we have older adults that it's approved for 65 and older. So you have all these different parts of that. And again, we're seeing kind of some frustration from different healthcare systems because we have patients coming in and asking, how can I get this? And you can't yet at a lot of places. We have to direct you to this website or that website or this specific vaccine's website. And so hopefully, you know, I'm optimistic that in 2024, we'll get some good news, that vaccine will be rolling out a little easier for those who want it. The recommendation that I've gotten from any sort of doctors is talk to your healthcare provider and see if it's right for you.
0: We focused recently, at least a lot, on RSV and kids because it's a thing. Yes, the pregnant women started early, but now it's kind of the kids. And we haven't even hardly touched winter yet, and it's already rearing its ugly head. Why is that a big deal that we need to be so focused on that?
2: Well, I think it's, uh, you know, for me as a parent and a lot of us at this table, we're parents and people that are watching this are going to be parents. Protection of our kids is of the utmost importance. And so if we can figure out ways uh, to protect our kids, and that's why we as a team here are being proactive of talking to pediatricians. How can we keep our kids safe? So that's hand hygiene. That's, you know, coughing into your arm, that type of thing. It's easy things that, you know, I think we tend to lose sight of, but there are things we can do on a daily basis to protect ourselves, and not only what we can do to be prevention beforehand, but what can we do if and when we were to get a virus like RSV?
1: Kids are so good at coughing into the inside of their (laughs) (laughs) hand, Or not. Uh. One other area I was going to focus on really quickly, because it deals with infants all the way up to age five who have RSV. One of the great things about working at OSF is... They innovate and they meet the moment. And they did that with RSV last season, when if you remember, we had an early start to the season, it was out of control, hospitals were filling up. And so what they did is they turned to their OSF on-call colleagues and created a remote patient monitoring program for infants all the way to age five that could be monitored at home and escalated to a virtual visit or you need to go to the emergency room if necessary. But for the most part, RSV and some other viral illnesses can be managed at home. And so that's what they did, and there were... Over 200 patients admitted, and that program started in December. You know, it took them a little bit to ramp it up. Now what they're doing, which I think is just fantastic, is they've expanded that program for those infants to five-year-old and any respiratory illness now. They will, with a referral from a physician and a diagnosis, and you have to live in Illinois or Michigan, those are the communities we serve. If, if you get that, you can have your child monitored at home. What comfort and relief that would be for
0: a parent. Yeah, and we've heard the success stories. I mean, there's been a lot of them out there that people are so appreciative because it's not only about the sick child, it's also about how that expands out to, it trickles down to if you have to go to work or various other things like that, where if you can be at home and do that, it it really is helpful. In addition to looking back, I think we've reached the time of year where it's about Thanksgiving, it's about counting your blessings. And Tim, you've been involved in a couple of stories this year that have been about blessings. And there was one that honestly involved the majority of this team. So it it shows the benefits of working for a health ministry that can connect all the dots and bring all the pieces together. So let's talk a little bit about Quentin Porter's story, because this is just, amazing.
3: So one of the things we were able to do, which was an incredibly emotional moment, we were able to connect Quentin to his donor, this young man in Miami. He didn't know who it was up until this point. He just knew that some benevolent person out there saved his life. And I know, Matt, you did some of the legwork on that, working through various health systems, and then you were able to speak with the donor.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and so this is the uh, the great thing about you know social media, the digital age that we live in, is I think we knew early on that the Mayo Clinic was involved somehow and we knew somehow that it was in Florida. So what did we do? We went to the media team at Mayo Clinic Florida, OSF and Mayo Clinic kind of came together. They were able to talk to the donor down in Florida, and he was saying, yeah, I'll do this interview um, with OSF. So I ended up being able to set up a Zoom with him. He speaks a little bit of English, but mostly Spanish is his primary language, and uh, Spanish is my secondary language. So we were able to do an interview in both English and Spanish. And I think Quentin, for the first time, was able to see and know who this guy is that, you know, gave his life to help him. And the reason, the donor said to me, he just wanted to help somebody. And so that's just a great story.
3: Yeah, just wonderful. So then I was able to take the video of your conversation, go over to Quentin's home, play it for him, and um, the, the tears were flowing. And Quentin himself is a character. I mean, this is a guy who has a background in acting and in radio and in media. He was I was over at his house and he was telling me stories about how he used to hang out with Charlie Sheen and all the things that they did that I can't repeat here. And now he's had this, you know, momentous thing happen in his life where he was, you know, looking at a, a demise really and he was able uh, to be saved.
0: And then we connect the dots. So we've got Muhammad Illinois, we have got Florida. And then we connect just south of Rockford, Illinois, correct?
4: That's right. Uh, Christy, his high school girlfriend, she lived uh, in Rockford at the time. And uh, again, just a a very emotional story that Christy shared with us. And uh, she said to me, she goes, you know, some people write a book. Some people run a marathon. She said, this was my gift. This is what I could give to Quentin. And it was just, you know, you could see the tears coming down her cheeks as well. She thought it was a small thing. But it was such an important thing, and her piece of it was just uh, was remarkable. And um, this is something that she will carry on with her for the rest of her life as well.
0: And we have to give a shout out to the transplant team at OSF St. Francis Medical Center in Peoria, because that's you know that did his surgery here, because that's where our transplant team is based. So paired kidney exchange, we encourage everybody to look at it and consider it, because it does connect the dots. And you never know. I mean, we're still talking about this story, and it was solidly six. Eight months ago. I mean, it was early in the year when that
3: happened. Definitely my favorite story of the year that I've done.
0: Now, you recently had another one, Tim, that was this also, Benevolent Strangers. How many of us would be willing to do this?
3: Yeah, so this was another story out of the Champaign-Urbana area. Uh, A gentleman by the name of Lester Lindsay, who works at a local restaurant. Uh, He was leaving work for the day, was uh, riding home. His, His cousin picked him up and was riding home, and then he suddenly collapsed, went into cardiac arrest. And uh, his cousin was trying to get first responders to come to the scene, and uh, then a good Samaritan just happened to be nearby. Her name is Shannon Walter. She works for the local park district, and she was experienced with CPR. She's CPR certified, and we can maybe talk about the importance of being CPR certified a little bit later. But she rushed to the scene. Uh, she performed CPR on Quentin before first responders could arrive, and in talking to everyone involved with the story, including some doctors and some EMS people, they all emphasized that that's the missing link of survival. That. Five to 10 minutes between when 911 is called and when first responders arrive. And if you have someone there that can perform CPR and can be that bridge until first responders get there with all their equipment and the ambulance, um, that is key in helping people survive out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, because for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, the odds are, are not very high. And I hate to, to be all grim, but that's just the reality, is if, if you're in a public place, away from a medical facility, you know, you really have to have care quickly in order to survive a major heart event. Uh, the other major part of this, you're probably asking yourself, well, how did Shannon know to get to the scene. She was across the street having lunch. She didn't know what was going on over there. Uh, There's an app, a smartphone app, which is supported by OSF in multiple markets, including in Champaign-Urbana. It's called PulsePoint. And basically what that does is it gives you CPR alerts when someone nearby needs CPR. And so that's how Shannon was alerted. She got a ping on her phone saying, hey, just across the street a few hundred yards away, someone needs CPR. And so that's kind of the, the other... Uh, peg to this is you know you should look into learning CPR getting CPR certified but you should also check out this this app as well which again it's it's a nationwide app but locally within markets it's supported by OSF and um, it allows you to not only you know follow first responder calls but the big thing is to Turn on alerts, just like you would get an alert on your phone from, you know, a social media app. You can turn on alerts that notify you when someone nearby needs CPR, and you can be a lifesaver.
1: The other great part of that app, and I've known people who survived because of it, is it also identifies where defibrillators are if you're in a certain building. And this is really important holiday time. Lots of people are under stress. And if you are out shopping or if you are someplace, make sure you have that Pulse point app downloaded on your phone. And because if you can help someone by just, if, if somebody goes down, maybe you don't know CPR, but maybe you can help find that defibrillator and get it there. I think that is just so important. Even if you're never going to learn CPR, you can at least help in that way.
3: And I'll just add that Lester's doing well, and just recently we were able to reunite everyone who was involved in that rescue. So Lester and Shannon were able to meet each other for the first time. We had the ambulance crew there, the fire crew, and uh, it was a wonderful event. Everyone's doing well.
0: And that is the ultimate best news at the end of it, yes. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. Paul, you took, you know, coming out of that, you took a look at hospice care. And so many people think of hospice care as end of life. Calling touched on that. We talk about end of life care. But in reality, hospice care really, think Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter went into hospice care in February and is still with us as of the recording of this. Um, but hospice care is about improving and the comfort of life and moving forward. So you did a story on hospice care in our hospice care program that really meant a lot to you.
4: Yeah, it did, Shelley. Uh, and it started with President Carter. I mean, back in February, he entered hospice, and the assumption on so many people's part was, this is an end-of-life situation. Nine months later, here he is, you know, still in hospice, still under care. Um, and the goal remains the, the same, to keep him comfortable and to enjoy the time that he has remaining, and you know there are no assumptions about getting healthy. Um, his time is is coming to a, a close, but they have been able to provide him comfort and care, and he's been able to enjoy the life that he has left at home. And his wife um, entered hospice recently too. Um, unfortunately, she did pass away recently. Um, but you know the average length of stay in hospice is about 90 days. Um, But some people don't make 90 days. Some people live a lot longer, like President Carter. So, I mean, you you just don't know. But it's been around for a long time. I mean, it started in England in 1967, came to the United States in the uh, mid-'70s. And so it's been around a long time. But there are 3,200 programs in the country, um, and there are a million people that are in hospice. And it's it's such a benefit not only for the patient – Um, but it's a a benefit to the family, and it gives them the peace of mind that their family member is being taken care of.
0: And honestly, our providers wish more people knew about this program or... Or would at least take advantage of it. Because it is a tough conversation to have. Let's be honest. It's a hard conversation to have. But the providers you spoke with wish more people knew about this and took advantage of it, right? Right.
4: I interviewed uh, Dr. Sarah Whalen. She's the medical director for OSF Hospice in Rockford. And she gives some great tips. I mean, one is ask for referrals. Um, You know, ask your friends. Ask your family. Ask the hospital, you know, um, for some referrals ask questions about the services that they provide, uh, pain management or whatever the case may be. Um, but the care team is more than just a doctor and a nurse. There's an entire care team that will provide the care for your loved one. And then make sure that you're comfortable with your decision and also make sure that your loved one is comfortable with this decision as well. So, um, you know, it, again, I can't stress the importance of how, you know, it really benefits the entire family and uh you know, it, it, it's, it's making a difference uh, for these families each and every day. And the impact, I did a story in Escanaba as well about another family that uh, benefited from the services of OSF in Escanaba. And it's the same thing. This family said to me, we could not have gotten through this ordeal without the, the love and the support from the staff at OSF Hospice. And that, that support continues to this day. Their father passed away a couple years ago but they still keep tabs on this family. So that care, that love, and that support really never goes away.
0: So the conversation with the providers, as Dr. Whalen says, is so important. As we're looking back to all of you, what most surprised you in the areas you support or the health care coverage that we did over the
1: past year? What was the biggest surprise? I'll join in with the AI theme, and that was how quickly – AI became the biggest thing dominating media. It seemed like it started maybe six months ago and almost like overnight, all of a sudden, I had never heard of ChatGBT or Bard or any of that or Dolly. And all of a sudden, this is becoming like a household name. And so it just, the speed at which all of a sudden that just took off, just blew me away. And I guess what I'm really looking forward to in 2024 is where is that going to take us? Because I think I, like a lot of people here at OSF, do believe it has the power, just the computational power to use data in such a meaningful way, I think we could just help so many more people in such a big way. I think we can improve access, outcomes, equity, all of it. And I think that is just like, it's one of the most exciting times in healthcare, really. But we've also on this team
0: had the discussion about how it will affect what we do too. Uh, and we've all having conversations about it, because everybody's like, oh, is Chad GPT writing your stories? Are they doing stuff? And we all, keep, we all go kicking and screaming. We all know that. But it can be a benefit, and it can provide some help, and we all know that. So it is a conversation for the media relations team to have moving forward of how we manage that. And then to our listeners and viewers, what do you believe? You know, so it has to be. That's another big conversation around AI, because it pulls in from different data points and where its source is coming from, because
1: we've seen that it's not always 100% accurate. And so, transparency we, is yeah. interesting, because some publications began by disclosing that this article was written by, yeah. you know, AI. They're not doing that anymore which scares me a little bit. But as we've all learned from trial and error, you can tell the difference. And if you're relying on generative AI, just the surface stuff for you know, good information, you better be careful. You better double check and vet everything because it is not all it's cracked up to be, at least not yet.
4: I don't know if that it's a surprise, but um, I've done a lot of work with our colleges of nursing uh, this year, and uh, we welcomed our new president, Dr. Charlene Aaron, to. Um, OSF, and she has just taken off running. She's got great ideas, great experience, and you know, the the times I've had the the opportunity to chat with her, um, she wants to get more into the high schools to start recruiting students. Um, She wants to create more of a mentorship program. Uh, She wants to get more men in the field of nursing, and so you're going to see exciting things happening with our colleges of nursing, both in Peoria and Rockford, and that's exciting to, to be on uh, the same page with her and to tell those stories. One thing I just did recently with them is a telehealth uh, medicine um, program that they've started in Rockford. And so now they are teaching telehealth to their nursing students and they are learning things they never would have thought would be part of their curriculum before COVID, but now it's a game changer and they're going to do telehealth and a whole lot of other things. And the thing quickly that I'm looking forward to is just all the programs, the new services. And the new providers that we have as well. I mean, there are so many people with great experience, great stories. We have patient testimonials coming down the pike. And, you know, we're, we're making a difference each and every day. And it's just really exciting to be one of the storytellers telling those stories.
3: Well, I'll just say, uh, not to, to piggyback off Paul, but it wasn't so much a surprise, but just everything I've learned over this past year about healthcare, about what OSF is doing. I mean, if I look back at my files and say all of the stories that I've written this year, it's been everything from stories about exercise to stories about pregnancy I even did a story about why you shouldn't pick your nose excessively I mean just anything and everything and and I I'm a storyteller at heart so I love telling those stories so that's been the most fulfilling for me this year is to get to tell those stories and then kind of continuing that theme moving forward what I'm most looking forward to is continuing to tell those stories in particular what Paul just said our patient success stories I, I love getting to sit down with those people who are kind enough and open enough to share their stories with me and, you know, what might have been a traumatic time of their life, but they're willing to share it publicly so that they can help others. Um, later this week, I'm going to sit down with one of our cancer patients who is uh, an older adult uh, and he's a bull rider. He is continuing to ride B-U-L-L, bull yes, rider. like the animal. Okay. And All he's right. continuing to do that while he's getting chemo. I mean, what an incredible story. Okay, I can't wait to see this guy. Can't this top is gonna, that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to say,
0: we write bullsum. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, that'll be fascinating. Yeah. that. But you're right. Those are the things and the advances that we're making, because 15, 20 years ago, that might not have been the case. Right. All right. I'm going to go to the new kid on the block over here. On yes. The, and Matt Sheehan. So you made the transition from a media world into the PR world. And so what has... I'll ask you, what has been the biggest surprises over the years and then looking for Because you had to hit the ground running hard early in the year.
2: Yeah, I came over from uh, doing TV for five years to joining you all in February. And so it was an interesting time. Um, I have to go back. You know, we're talking about surprises. is, um, And I don't know if it's so much of a surprise, more of just becoming refreshed of, honestly, COVID and where we've came from and where we've gone. I mean, I got married in 2021, COVID time masks were worn and certain things we you know were worried about the numbers of who could come to the ceremony and all this stuff because of regulations uh, we had our first child during covid uh, so that was another you know thing there going on but then this year what we've seen so much growth and i mean i I feel refreshed to like be able to travel and be able to kind of live life more freely um, so that's been kind of my surprise because i feel like i was getting in a rut and i think a lot of people were of, like is this ever going to end you know the shutdowns, the lockdowns, the mask wearing and stuff. And I mean, people are still doing that and uh, a little bit, and that's fine. You know, it's their choice. But I just feel like that was my big okay. I feel good about where we're going. Um, when it comes to looking forward to next year, and I hope I'm not stealing from you, Shelley, but it has to be the OSF Cancer Institute here in Peoria. And so I'm sure you know if you want to talk about it more later. I mean, that's kind of your your thing. But I just feel like that is going to be such a regional. Uh, attraction and that high quality life-saving care is going to be offered right here in Peoria, which is going to be fantastic. And not only that, but we're seeing it in some of the other markets that I support. Galesburg is getting some new services um, that are going to be very uh, much needed in that market here uh, for the coming years as well. So I think it's just OSF's approach to cancer services and the high quality life-saving care.
0: Well, we're going to end on that because, yes, there will be much more to come on the OSF Cancer Institute that will be opening in February. We're very excited about that. Yes, there will be full podcasts on that coming forward, so we won't go into that today. But this has been a great conversation. Colleen, Paul, Tim, Matt, couldn't ask for a better team to help tell the stories. We will continue to tell the stories into 2024, and we look forward to bringing everyone else along with us on that journey. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Health Accelerated brought to you by OSF Healthcare. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also find links to any of our episodes at osfinnovation.org healthaccelerated.